0: Talk tonight is not about Mara. <laughs> I was beginning to think I might be identified <laughs> with that, <laughs> those armies. In fact, I'm beginning to think of myself as Michelle Mara. So <laughs> uh, tonight's talk is about three of the four Brahma viharas metta, compassion, and sympathetic joy, and maybe a bit about equanimity, if there's time. The reason I'm choosing to talk about this tonight is because we've sort of all gone around another bend in the course, and there's a level of intensity that's um, very high right now in the course. And it's easy to lose perspective on what we're doing here. It's like all of us, staff, teachers, yogis, all of us, this is really our world, totally. And there's not much memory about anything outside of this. And that's why it's so intense. It's like if somebody sneezes, it's, you know, the biggest thing (laughs) that happens. (laughs) You know, or laundry day is just, you know. (laughs) Oh my God, it's laundry day. I have to bring my laundry to the laundry room. (laughs) No, it's just, you know, compared to six weeks ago. (laughs) It's very different, so. Um, The very first lines of the Dhammapada, they're the best known words of the Buddha. He says, mind precedes all mental states. Mind is their chief. They are all mind wrought. If with an impure mind a person speaks or acts, suffering follows one, like the wheel that follows the foot of an ox. The second verse says that mind precedes all mental states. Mind is their chief. They are all mind wrought. If with a pure mind, a person speaks or acts, happiness follows one like a never-departing shadow. What we're doing here, it's easy to lose perspective, but what we're doing here is learning about happiness, how that comes about. And our happiness and suffering is all mind wrought. It, it comes from within ourselves. And all beings who take birth really want to be happy. So the Buddha's teachings are concerned with relieving suffering on the very deepest level. The four Brahma Viharas are about our relationship to ourselves, to other people, and to all beings in the universe. And they apply to one's daily life as well as to one's long-range happiness. They're concerned with wisdom as well as action as well as relationship. The Pali word for loving kindness is metta. Metta is extending unlimited friendliness towards all beings in the universe without any kind of discrimination. The Pali word for compassion is karuna. And this is feeling connected, feeling compassion and responsive to all living beings who are suffering. Sympathetic joy, or it's also known as altruistic or unselfish joy, is called mudita in Pali. It's feeling joy in other people's success and welfare and happiness. And equanimity, as you've heard a lot about, is an evenness or unshakability of mind through all the ups and downs that life brings us. These four divine abodes are said to be sublime or divine because They involve an ideal conduct towards all beings. They're called abodes because they can become a place where we feel at home in our hearts. And rather than being a place that we visit on occasion, that it really is a home, a center. They're known also as boundless states in their perfection they can be extended from oneself to other other people to other beings and boundlessly or infinitely toward all beings in the universe this boundlessness is very important because it can help us cut through the sense of this body and mind being my territory or this being my country or Any kind of division that we create in our minds, it helps cut through. We can honor and respect the uniqueness of the different forms that appear in this universe, such as Russian or American or Chinese or Buddhist or Jewish or Catholic, Muslim, black, yellow, white, rich or poor, female or male, adult or child, there's so many divisions that cause so much suffering in our lives. And these four sublime abodes are meant to cut through all of this alienation. They can help us honor the boundaries, but not be imprisoned or limited by them. So the first is called loving kindness. Many of us are searching for love in all our funny little ways. And coming on retreat is another funny way of a sign of love for yourself. Loving-kindness, the image that's often used is the ideal feeling a mother would feel for her, her newly born child. That's the image that's used in the texts. And for each divine abode, there's said (coughs) to be a near enemy and a far enemy. A near enemy means that it's able to corrupt owing to its similarity. It's like an enemy masquerading as a friend. So the near enemy of metta is self-centered desire. It can appear to seem like love, but it really isn't love, a pure kind of unconditional love. Usually, a kind of self-centered love is the kind where we desire the pleasure of being with a person. We get attached to the pleasure of being with a person. And it's a kind of dependent love, we get dependent on the pleasure It's a kind of love where you say to yourself, I love you if you'll love me. And in relationship, especially at the beginning, there can be kind of a high. But over time, what happens is that you end up with a human being. <laughs> I'm sure some of you have experienced this. And so one starts to see that the relationship, if it will last, isn't about emotional gratification. That it really can become a practice, like we're doing here. That one just isn't in it for the pleasure, but one can be in it for the whole show. The pain, the pleasure, the neutrality. And it can be just like our practice. And a very deep affection can come from being involved with friends and relationship over a long time so what is meant by metta is not selfish affection it's a it's a state of being the far enemy of metta is called hatred or ill will and this is because it's not possible to feel hatred and to feel loving kindness at the same time Traditionally, the proximate cause of this, of loving-kindness, is said that one is able to see the agreeable sides of a human being. That if you're ever having difficulty with someone, that it's possible to concentrate on their good qualities. At the beginning of this retreat, I mentioned the purpose the different purposes of doing metta-meditation. And the first is to be able to feel this feeling for oneself. And then to be able to send it to other beings. It's developing a very soft, gentle, open heart. A tender heart. It's being able to truly wish oneself well or to wish others well, truly, genuinely. Metta is very helpful, the practice itself, if you're becoming overwhelmed by anger or ill will. And it's not meant to be something that you use to avoid the anger. But if you're drowning in the anger, it can be helpful to switch your attention to the practice of metta if you can, just to start developing a soft, open heart that you can learn to feel the anger from that space. It's like swimming up for for air. More and more I see in this world that so very few people are willing to feel their own anger. It's so rare to find a person who's willing to take responsibility for their anger rather than to project it out, to blame someone else. And if you reflect about this, you can see that all the aggression and abuse and wars and power struggles all stem from this inability to be with the unpleasant and then the anger and then it's projected and just to think about the power of each day of what you're doing here the possibility of being able to feel anger and not act on it, it's so radical it's so powerful and so important Metta is a protection. It was first taught by the Buddha to the nuns and monks in the jungle as a protection against the wild animals in the forest. It's a protection against harm. For the last several years, at the end of the last two weeks of the three-month course, I've been having some people just switch to metta practice And I get many letters saying how they feel so much stronger and more protected when they leave. Other than mindfulness, it's the only protection we have. It's a very powerful practice. Ultimately, it's based on not harming. Not harming oneself or other beings. And so there's a possibility of becoming all beings' friend, a friend to all. If you can imagine what that's like to have no one afraid of you, even the ants and the flies. Traditionally, there are said to be eleven benefits to metta meditation it's actually a concentration practice it's not Vipassana it can be complementary, but it's not the same practice when you do it you ignore everything that's happening that becomes predominant and it's meant to bring peace and tranquility I went to a conference several years ago, and the Dalai Lama was in the conference, and someone asked him a question about anger. Someone asked him um, if he could think of any benefit of expressing anger. And he thought for five minutes, It was startling. I mean, it was, it was so amazing. It was just like the whole place was just quiet. And he just sat there and he thought for five minutes. And I just could imagine his mind just roaming and roaming and roaming, trying to find something. And finally, he just said, no. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> very different from the New Age kind of idea that it's good to get it out. Um, So, the eleven benefits. The first is that one sleeps easily. Second, one wakes easily. (laughs) One has pleasant dreams. One is loved and respected by all beings. Devas and Brahmas will love you. Devas and Brahmas will protect you. Poison and fire and weapons won't harm you. One's mind becomes serene. One has a clear complexion. And the eleventh is that one will die unconfused. when you actually do the practice of loving-kindness meditation one begins with oneself and the idea behind that is that one actually loves oneself the most and this is a quote from the Buddha that isn't edited it's from a Mahasi Sayadaw book but I thought it was quite interesting it's a little long in all ten regions or places with imagination or thoughts going round and round in search of a person who deserves more love than one's own self in any place or anywhere cannot be found. Similarly, other people also, with reference to their own respective self, Love themselves the most. Inasmuch as every being loves one's own self the most, one who loves one's own self, who cares most for one's own welfare or one's own good, will not cause another person suffering or misery. It's pretty amazing what's being said if you love yourself completely if you care about yourself completely you will never harm another being and so that's why this practice has begun with oneself i've also found that for most westerners this is a very difficult path it's very interesting it's like we have no capacity to forgive ourselves and i'm not sure if it's different in the east Um, but i find that many people don't connect with the actual practice and i found that to be true for myself at the beginning of my practice and what i used to do instead of doing the practice formally is that if in one rare moment in any given year i would feel a rare feeling of love for myself i would sort of hold the moment open like (laughs) wait and i just do that practice at that moment rather than trying to do it formally and over the years i found that to be very powerful to just do it when i actually felt it and it gradually built. The other aspect to this is that if you remember doing the practice, the second person one sends it to is a benefactor. And I find that for many Westerners, again, if you can't send it to yourself, which is often the case, if you start with a benefactor, usually you can do it. You know, if you can think of someone that you feel this natural spontaneous feeling for just by generating that feeling then you can send it to yourself so don't be surprised if you don't connect with it I find that many people don't at first it takes time also it's quite easy to love ourselves when we're clear and perfectly aware and open. And it's much harder to feel this feeling when we're feeling sad or angry or afraid. And this is the time when we usually bring out the whip and whip ourselves. Metta can help us to throw away the whip. It's a big accomplishment. (laughs) It's a major accomplishment metta can help us cultivate within ourselves the warmth and tenderness to melt the self-hatred and negativity. Eventually one can begin to feel this feeling and extend it beyond oneself or a benefactor or dear friends to someone neutral or someone difficult and eventually toward all beings, even flies at times. This is a quote from an address by some Iroquois Indians to the United Nations in Geneva in 1977. They said, we are shown that our life exists with the tree life, that our well-being depends on the well-being of the vegetable life that we are close relatives of the four-legged beings in our ways spiritual consciousness is the highest form of politics we believe that all beings are spiritual beings Chief Joseph said the earth and I are of one mind This unconditional affection includes all beings. It includes dogs and cats and birds and ants and flies, insects, fish, all beings and unseen beings as well. It's interesting to know that even the ghosts are afraid. It helps us to remember that. This is a quote from Sun Roshi. There are so many pleasures in life cooking, eating, sleeping. Every day deed of everyday life is nothing else but this great matter. Realize this. So we extend tender care with a worshiping heart, even to such beings as beasts and birds. But not only to beasts, not only to birds, but to insects, too, okay? Even to grass, to one blade of grass, even to dust, to one speck of dust. Sometimes I bow to the dust. So simple and so vital. Sometimes I even bow to the dust. We can take refuge in a heart that understands this interconnectedness of all beings that take birth. That the same life and energy flows through us all, that we're all one family, we're all related, and that you can see sangha from this perspective as a a communion or celebration of this interconnectedness. It's interesting that when babies are born, if they have no love, they'll die they'll actually die, even if their needs are met, such as being wiped or being fed. If they have no love, it's impossible to live. And all beings have feelings and need care. We all have the capacity to feel hurt and to feel fear. And to understand this is being able to enter the heart of another being. And to understand also that people don't hurt or harm others unless they're out of harmony, if they're in pain, or feeling separate, or alienated. And it's important for us all to remember that we're all human, that we'll all make mistakes, that we will cause harm, and that we all need the space of forgiveness. One thing that many people misunderstand about metta practice is that they think that they're always going to feel this feeling when they do it. And I just wanted to mention a story from way back when I was on staff here in 1978. And it was a summer when no teachers came here. So the staff decided to do our own um, little teachings. So we decided to do metta practice every day at the six o'clock sitting for an hour, for a week. And it was summer, so the windows were open, all the windows were open in the hall. And at that time, the house across the street was owned by a family that had just gotten a dog that barked constantly. And so, we were doing this wonderful metta meditation day by day. And the dog just barked and barked and barked and barked, and the last day when we were walking out the hall out of the hall, this staff person turned around and looked at me, and he said, "I hate that dog <laughs> and This was after a week of this wonderful <laughs> practice, and uh, not to be surprised if hatred arises <laughs> when you 're doing it. It's another practice of purification, and often a lot of anger actually will arise. And, and some people get very shocked by this, but it's really that it does lift things. They moved. <laughs> The combination of mindfulness and loving-kindness are very powerful. It's a very practical um, balance of inner and outer. It can occur in any moment when we're being aware and also open and soft. And it's a kind of tenderness of awareness that can help us receive and appreciate a cup of tea. or lunch, or the sound of the bell. It's just very simple. Compassion. I think Joseph is going to do a whole talk on compassion, so I'll just talk briefly about it. The near enemy of compassion is pity. And it's when we feel sorry for some being or someone who's suffering. And it's a way in which we actually separate ourselves from the pain. It keeps us distant. It's a kind of aversion to the unpleasantness. The far enemy is cruelty because it's not possible to feel compassion and to be cruel at the same time. Compassion is a natural, spontaneous response of an open heart, so it comes from metta. And it's not to have the heart so engaged that we get overwhelmed or broken by the immensity of suffering on the planet. It needs to be balanced with wisdom and detachment. There's a possibility to respond with care but not with pity. It's not avoiding the pain but it's, it's amazing when we can actually be with someone who's in a lot of pain with balance. Not trying to get rid of the pain which is often the tendency or to move away from it but just to help the person be with it or the being. And it's a lesson that I had to learn very early my mother started to get sick and to die when I was quite young and it's something that has been a koan for me in my life learning how to be with that much pain and to be with it let the person feel it but not try to get rid of it hard lesson for all of us very difficult to do another aspect of this which I think is important is when we experience someone who's having a lot of difficulty or pain like in a retreat and there seems to, they seem to be doing things that upset us And I just thought I'd mention it because it can be very interesting moment by moment. One time I was sitting a Goenka course many years ago. And it just so happened I felt like I was a magnet with this woman who was incredibly agitated. And she just seemed every day in the retreat she kept getting closer to me until she had her zafu right in front of me. And then she put a chair right behind me. And she couldn't sit still for more than about five minutes. And so she'd be sitting on her zafu and then she'd get up and then she'd bump into me and then she'd sit in the chair behind me. And then she'd get restless after about five minutes and kind of kick me from behind me and get up and move into the zafu. It was a very interesting course. And, of course, in that tradition, you're really trying to feel sensations. (laughs) And I was really trying to feel the sensations in my elbow, and I'd get kicked in the knee, and I just didn't want to open to that kick in the knee. I kept wanting to feel the sensations in my elbow. It was such a good teaching, in a way, because what was happening moment by moment is that, that she would feel something unpleasant, she couldn't open to it, she'd get upset, and stand up, move, sit behind me, and I would feel an unpleasant (laughs) sensation, and I'd have aversion, and it's like the aversion would just go on and on and on. And after a while, I just saw that, what's the happiness and what's the suffering in this? You know, where's the freedom? Is the freedom in trying to get rid of it, and to have her leave the course? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, <laughs> or is the freedom being able to look at it and understand it and many times we th- there's these such difficult situations but there's such good teachings because I just didn't want to be a victim of that cycle anymore and it was just aversion and aversion and it wasn't her aversion and it wasn't my aversion it's just aversion And we so much want to push it away. And it's possible to just open to the aversion and let it go. And if we can do this, if we can understand the process, we're no longer victims of the aversion. And we can actually feel compassion. I could actually, I felt so much compassion for her by the end of the Course. It was wonderful to just surrender and open up to it. it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> Sympathetic Joy, Mudita. meaning the ability to share in another person's happiness or joy. And that means that the joy is equal to one's own satisfaction in one's own happiness or joy. This is probably the rarest of them all. It's the joy or delight felt when another person has success. And the near enemy is being joyful at something insignificant or petty. The far enemy is jealousy or envy or or cold-heartedness. And mudita is the antidote to conceit of all kinds. Unselfish joy has a natural root in all of our hearts. And it can assure us that human beings can actually overcome the darkness. They can actually overcome ignorance. The Buddha said that if it were impossible to cultivate the good, I would not tell you to do this. And there can be such faith and confidence in genuine human concern. It's important to be in touch with this deep truth within us all that we all want so very much to be loving. And just think about how much you want to be able to love everyone. We all want so very much to be compassionate. And We all really want this. This is our deepest desire. It's the truth. We want so very much to feel glad when somebody is joyful rather than envy. It's something really true and genuine within us. And there can be such joy in this. Jealousy is so painful (laughs) and often we fight it. And with all of these sublime abodes, it's important to remember the opposite. So like with jealousy, often we push it away and we say, oh, I'm not jealous. (laughs) But it, it appears, the jealousy appears. And instead of fighting it or condemning it or judging it, we can actually recognize it, feel it, and let it go. And when we can do that, it makes space for this unselfish joy, to become present more and more. If we push the jealousy away, we just shut down more and more. And a confidence can arise as one does this, a confidence in our own worthwhileness. And that worthwhileness is what brings about this gladness, that we can feel this in ourselves and then be able to extend with the joy and it's very rare it's said that it's easier to be compassionate it's easier to sympathize with another person's suffering rather than rejoice with people and the reason for this is because we can feel compassion without having to feel friendly towards a person but to feel another, to share in another person's joy. There has to be some true affection present. This unselfish joy can help us from being condescending or patronizing towards people who are suffering, which is harmful. And it can also keep us from in the work of service from becoming indifferent or bored, it becoming a dead act. It's a gladness of heart in being with other people's pain. So there's compassion for people's sorrows and joy in their blessings. This spring I got a chance to watch both of them every day, when I went to interviews with Upandita. There was a staff, there was an ex-staff person and a student of mine there who had interviews right before mine. So she was sitting the course, and Upandita tends to be very, very, very stern and fierce with me. And so I don't often look forward to interviews with him. And this person, this woman, <laughs> had interviews right before me. And during the course, her father died. And I was trying very hard to self, stay self-contained and, during the course and not look up. And But I knew that she was in so much pain. And so right before the interviews, I'd look at her and I'd smile and I'd... Um, write her notes during the period when she found out that he died and before the interviews she'd be so nervous because she heard so, so many stories about Upandita's ways and so she'd be on the steps and she'd be shaking like a leaf, just shaking and i just encourage her to go in, it's okay, you can do it and she'd be so upset and so afraid and then she'd come out like 15 minutes later And she'd look at me, and she'd just go... He's so loving! And and then she'd walk down another step, and then she'd go... He's so gentle! I mean, she was just swooning, and then... And then she'd take another few steps, and she'd go... I go in there filled with fear and doubt, and he fills my heart with love! And I'd be standing there going, maybe he's in a good mood today, <laughs> maybe today's gonna be a good day. And I kind of, I get older and older as I walk up the stairs and I could barely get in the door preparing myself for the next blow and he'd, he'd just be the, constantly the same, it would be like very fierce. And it was like this day after day. She'd come out and she'd go. (laughs) 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 And I'd go in. (laughs) And it was a great place to watch my uh, sympathetic joy, (laughs) whether it was arising or completely gone. (laughs) (laughs) One can share this unconditional, genuine joy in a beautiful way when you're on retreat. It's called sharing merit. And Sharon mentioned it briefly in a question, answering a question. Traditionally, merit is defined as the accumulation of tendencies resulting from enlightened actions which, according to the law of karma, is conducive to the future happiness of the doer of this action. So, for example, by all of you being here on retreat, there's a way in which you can share your merit. And you can share it with relatives, family, friends, all people in the room, all beings, you can share it with devas, brahmas, with any being in the universe. And especially when you're aware of anatta, if you have insight into the concept of I and mine, in terms of the ultimate truth, there's no such thing as my merit. It's just, it's impossible. There's just merit. And this understanding makes it possible to be able to share it. And it can bring about a great deal of joy if you're sitting and you're having a hard time or um, just any time if you feel that feeling of wanting to share the merit of what you're doing here, you can do it in any time. And it can bring about a lot of rapture and gladness. One time when I was um, here cooking at IMS, Manindra was teaching a course with a woman named Krishna from India. And I would cook them breakfast. And I had it ready at 6.30 every day. This was the schedule. And every day about 7 o'clock I'd just be pacing, (laughs) waiting for them downstairs. And I'd come upstairs and I'd wait and I'd wait and I'd knock on the door and I'd say, breakfast is ready. And they just come rolling out about 7.30. Mm-hmm. And they knew breakfast was at 6.30. So I kept getting more and more upset every day. And finally, as a, one day I knocked on the door at 7.15 and I said, what are you doing? And I couldn't, just didn't understand what they could possibly be doing. And Manindra just went into this 10 minute thing about how he was sharing the merit with what he was teaching with all the beings in the room and all the beings in the planet, all the beings. I mean, he just kept going on and on about devas and brahmas. And I just was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, <you know? laughs> and I just trying to shut the door. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> It sounded pretty nice! (laughs) I wish I was in there! (laughs) Metta, compassion, mudita, actually lead to an equanimity which isn't indifferent to joy or sorrow, but to evenness and stability. These three are evened out in equanimity. It's called the queen or king of the four abodes. Sympathetic joy gives to equanimity a serenity that can soften that feeling in equanimity that's kind of unmoving or stern. It's called the divine smile on the face of the Buddha. Sympathetic joy is the smile on the face of the Buddha. Equanimity is called the king or queen of these four because it pervades them with evenness. The near enemy of equanimity is indifference and the far enemy is greed and resentment. I used to think that solitude depended on whether one didn't have any people around or not. And I used to think that quiet depended on whether or not there was any noise happening, any sounds around that I didn't want. And after some years of practice, I began to understand that solitude and quiet, that freedom from suffering, wasn't dependent on no noise, or no people, or no pain that this freedom and the quiet and the solitude is all about a quiet mind, a non-reacting mind. And the real noise is always inside us. It's when we're fighting with things. And six-limbed equanimity is when the war is over inside of us what we're doing here is about peace the end of the war and it can only happen inside of us, not outside. It's easy to lose perspective at this time in the Course, what you're doing here, but that's what it's about. It's about peace and happiness. I'd like to end with a thing that I'm pretty sure that Upanita wrote, it's called Sharing Merit. As water fallen, it's, it's something that you can do as I say it, so you might want to kind of get in a position in which you can um, do this as I say it. Peace is hard work, by the way. (laughs) Sharing Merit As water fallen upon a hilly place flows down to the valley so surely charity practiced here benefits the departed kin. As rivers brimmed with water fill the ocean So, surely, charity practiced here benefits the departed kin. Let this merit accrue to our relatives and may they be happy. May all beings be happy with the acceptance of this merit. May what you wish and desire very soon be successful. May all your aspirations be fulfilled like the full moon day. Our mind is temporarily pure, freed from greed and hatred and delusion. We charge our pure heart and mind with thoughts of loving kindness. May we be free from suffering, troubles and worries. May we be free from anger, jealousy, envy, and malice. Now we charge every particle of our system with thoughts of loving kindness. Our whole body is saturated with loving kindness. We are the embodiments of loving kindness. Mentally, we create a happy and healthy aura of loving-kindness around us. By means of this aura, we cut off all negative thoughts, all hostile vibrations. We are not affected by the evil thoughts of others. We are fortified by our own thoughts of loving-kindness. We radiate these loving thoughts of boundless goodwill toward all beings above, below, and around. May we be able to identify ourselves with all without any distinctions. May all misfortunes be warded off. May all diseases be cured. May no dangers befall us. May we live long in peace. May all beings be well and happy. May all live in peace and harmony. May this merit be the cause for the extinction of all cankers. May this merit be the source for the Realization of Nirvana. May all live in peace and harmony. You can keep sitting for a few minutes and you can keep sharing the merit if you'd like. May we be peaceful. May we be liberated.